Welcome back to the Cook It Real Good podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Hilbron, and I am so happy to have you here. This week's episode is all about baking bread. Bread baking at home has had quite the resurgence over the last few years, and especially now during the pandemic. I chat with Rachel Ballard from Feast and Farm, who shares her advice for how to get started and all the essentials that will help you along the way. If you've ever thought about making a sourdough starter or saw people on Instagram baking bread and thought, hey, I can do that, the good news is you can. And with Rachel's tips, you'll be well on your way. This week's recipe of the week is my copycat sizzler cheese toast recipe. I've been teasing this one on Instagram for a few weeks now, and I finally published it today, actually. (laughs) I figured that after you conquer your first delicious loaf of homemade bread, why not turn it into some cheese bread? Grab the recipe as well as all the links we discuss in today's episode at cookitrealgood.com slash 55. Now let's dive in. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the Cook It Real Good podcast. Hi, Cassie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. And today we're going to talk about bread making. But before we get into it, I have to ask you the question I ask all of my guests, which is what is your signature dish? Oh, well, I can tell you what the internet says is my signature dish. But I'm interested. I yes. would say probably baked macaroni and cheese. Oh, that's been the thing that everybody comes to me to get and then wants you know, a variation on that sort of thing. So I'm pretty good at doing that completely from scratch with a bechamel sauce and no Velveeta, no, you know, fake cheese, that kind of thing. So. Oh my gosh. And so is that one on the blog? It is. Mm -hmm. I have to try the bechamel sauce. It just makes it so special. And I love, especially baking mac and cheese when it gets like the crispy edges. Yes. It just makes it so much better. And now, now all I want is mac and cheese. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Oh, and it got, it got really dangerous. I did a, I did made an an ebook. I based it on, on that, my most popular version. And I made, uh, we did Philly cheesesteak mac and cheese. We did Greek ones. We did Alfredo. We did, and I, for two weeks, I made every variation I could think of. And it was a lovely, wonderful two weeks. So (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'll never complain about having to eat carbs. No, like, no, bring no, it no. All. <laughs> Yes. Uh, all right. So I, I must admit, I have actually been following your blog for a while, and I've, uh, I love all of your your tips and your beautiful recipes and it kind of whenever I visit your blog I always want to think about running off to a nice country homestead and cooking cooking beautiful meals off the land that's that's the feelings that I get I feel like that's what you want your readers to have (laughs) right and what you know really that's that's the that's partially the reality of what we really do here. And I don't, I don't push my, my website as a, as a homesteading blog, but we are homesteaders and I was raised by homesteaders. And so um, we do grow a lot of our own food. I think I canned a hundred pints roughly of, of like my own vegetables and garden produce this year. And I canned my own homemade chicken stocks with vegetables that I grew and like, you know, things like that. So we, what you see is pretty much what you get around here. So, oh, I love it. I, I seriously do dream of it. I went to a, um, I went away for the weekend a few weekends ago with some of my family members. Um, we went to like a farm that was about an hour and a half from where we live and just, just being in the country, it was quiet and peaceful. Like I spent one night there. I'm like, I'm ready to pack it all up. I'm, I'm over the city. <laughs> 
Well, there's there's certainly lots of trade-offs for a life like this. You know, I am um, almost an hour from any sort of a specialty grocery store. Um, I live in the only county in the state of Kentucky that did not have a grocery store until about two years ago. And even then, the only one we have is not much to write home about. So um, groceries are at least a 30-minute trip one way to find anything. And like I said, if I need something specialty, it's over an hour's drive, Um, you know, there's nothing out here and we like it that way, but it does have its inconveniences for sure. Definitely. And you have to be really organized. I imagine like yes. <laughs> when you go to the grocery store, you don't want to come home and be like, Oh, I forgot. No, no. <laughs> I go to the store. I go to the store once a week. Um, and then we don't go back to town at all really. So I see, I see, a, I see the city once a week, which is a lot more than some people who live in the country. But if I needed something specialty, I only go up there about once every six months or so. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you do have to plan for sure. <laughs> well, one thing that I have noticed, and this is what I want to talk to you about today, is probably let's let's be real. It's since the pandemic started, but I think even before that, there's been a bit of a resurgence in popularity of this making your own foods that maybe we didn't traditionally make. Um, especially right. you know if you if you are living in the city and you have access to things like your your hot bread bakeries or even right. going to the supermarket whenever. So. Um, but yeah, the pandemic is probably what I most noticed it is that everyone was going, I want to make my own bread now. And we were kind of joking with friends going, is, is all of a sudden bread not available at the supermarket because everyone wanted to start a sourdough. But I found it exciting because it was like, well, maybe we could all do this. Maybe this is something that we could all learn to do. So why do you think that bread making has gained that popularity? What was What's driving it? Well, certainly I think we have a twofold issue going on here. Like you said, the first thing is, you know, during the pandemic, whether we realize it or not, people crave carbs when they're stressed. If you're at home and and you're you're feeling that kind of that tension that we all felt during that time, people crave their carbohydrates and they're like, where can I get some? Oh, wait, I think I'm supposed to bake bread now. Like, that's what we're supposed to do right now. This is, that's what you do when you stay home, right? You bake bread. I mean, so, you have this craving for carbs and like warmth and something you can smear butter on. I don't know why that happens to people, but that's, I think part of it is just an, an emotional trigger. So, Something we're feeding emotionally but then of course the other thing is um I think it's at least here now in my grocery stores we did run out of bread for a while which was fine with me because in my defense I was already baking bread before pandemics ever hit so that was okay but we did run out of bread in our stores and I think people began to realize hey you know there's a skill I don't have and I've said for many years now that you know bread baking is a lost art. It's a lost mm-hmm. skill for many, many, many generations of, of, of young Americans and, and people around the world. Have, they just don't do it because there's always somewhere else to get it. And so I think there were people beginning to think about, hey, you know, what if this isn't in the store? Could I? Could I do this? You know, would I be able to have build my skills so that I could? And and I, I think they begin to worry about so like, well, I better try. So they got in there and they gave it a shot. And then I think boredom, of course, yeah. you know, just like I'm bored. We should, we should cook something, you know, that comes around, but then, you know, non pandemically speaking, if we're not looking at it from that angle, I I really have seen, you know, a shift in what people want in their food. And so, you know, on, on my website, on feast and farm, I spend a lot of time trying to help people navigate away from so much convenience boxed food and, and people just largely, they don't, they don't, they're starting to come around to realizing that you don't need 
all these additives in a loaf of bread. You don't, you know, bread you make yourself is going to go bad and dry out in two to three days max. When you have bread you buy at the grocery store and it sits on your shelf in your pantry for six weeks and never gets mold on it, you should scratch your head and say, why is this lasting so long? You know, and it's lasting because it's full of preservatives and dose stabilizers and things that just we just don't need to eat. If we were making it ourselves, those things would never be there. And so over time, people have begun to begun to go, you know, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't really make sense. And I'd like to try to do a little bit better. So I think I think there's multiple, you know, multiple trends in there. That really does make sense what you're saying about being more aware of what we are, well, what goes into our food and right. and all the ingredients. I think that has been, um, like, I don't want to say a food trend, but I have noticed that it's trending more in the way that, you know, people are living their lifestyles. They want to know what's in their food. They want to, they they want to be able to control that. So that is a good point about the bread baking. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that there's probably a lot of people who started a sourdough, maybe... <laughs> sourdough starter or something during pandemic who maybe after a couple of weeks realized that it was a little uh, more than they <laughs> wanted to right. do that it took a while um, right. or and I admitted this to you before we started recording today but I'm someone who a few years ago wasn't the pandemic but I I got a swept into the bread baking I, I got it bad I wanted the bug and I bought all of my my tools for the bread baking and then they sat in the cupboard and I didn't start so what are some things that we need to consider when we're thinking about starting bread baking and how do you think we we sort of go about getting over that first hurdle which is like just getting started right so for me you know um, I started out many years ago as a, as a professional medical writer I'm a nurse by training and I had a writing coach and I was having a lot of trouble with writer's block at the time and she said to me one day she said Rachel you've got to give yourself permission to just write garbage just throw it out on paper. You can fix it after you get it out there, right? So sometimes I think as cooks, we, we're a little bit like writer's block and that we just don't know what to do. And so getting over that hurdle is me telling you, sometimes you have to give yourself permission to just bake a brick. And that's what's going to happen. The very first time you make a loaf of bread, you're probably going to bake a brick. It's going to be terrible. It's going to have this awful hard crust on the outside. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, It's going to be heavy. It's going to, it's just going to look awful. And you're going to be so upset. You're probably not going to be able to get your yeast to work right the first time or two. That is okay that's what you need to know. Okay. You have to know I'm going to flop it the first time I have to give myself permission to just do this and ruin it because you'll learn about a million things the first time you do it. And then the next time you'll do better. Right. So, um, the story of my sister-in-law was going to tell you, she, she never made a loaf of bread in her life. She's very not domestic, but she really wanted to try. And so I have a, a really popular YouTube video where I'm making a basic loaf of like white bread, not sourdough, just a basic loaf. She watched it like five times. She's a researcher. She studies things before she does anything. She's like, okay, I've watched her video tomorrow. I'm going to make this loaf of bread. And I was like, okay, well, you're probably going to flop it. It's probably going to be bad. She's like, oh, that's okay. I can do it. You know, she was like all positive about it. And she, she called me in the middle of the next day. She called me and she was crying. She was sobbing. She'd thrown the bread in the trash can. Like she, she couldn't get the yeast to activate. And she was like, I watched the video like five times and it looked so easy. Why is this so hard? And the, the thing about bread that you have to know is that 
it's very sensitive to individual environments, individual humidity levels in homes. And, um, and, and especially if you're doing a sourdough, everyone's starter is a little bit different. And you have to really... I can give you a recipe, but that doesn't mean that the recipe that worked for me when I made mine is going to work perfectly for you in your home on whatever day it is. And it's, it's very different. And so she was heartbroken and I just told her, I was like, listen, this is what makes the difference between you becoming a really good cook or giving up now because tomorrow you need to try again. And she was like, okay. She was so upset. She was like, okay, I'll try again. The next day she made a loaf of bread. It was not perfect, but it was 100% better than yesterday. And we didn't have anything to show for our time. So you have to just do it and do it again and do it again and do it again until you improve on, on it each time. Then the other thing I will tell you before you start bread making, you must realize that it's not, it's not going to take all of your time. But my sister-in-law thought that she was going to put this loaf of bread on to rise and then that she was going to go off to town and go shopping. And so she said, she was like, can I just run off to town now? I was like, when are you, when are you coming back? Cause it's only got an hour rise and then something's got to be done with it. And she said, I don't know. I was going to come back, you know, like five or six hours from now. I was like, no, sweetheart. No, no, no. Now you've got an hour, but you don't have five or six hours. And she was like, Oh, well, what do you do? Like you have to learn to block your time a little bit. And the sourdough itself, if you're doing a sourdough, it has really long, slow rises. So you don't have to worry about it for like a whole day. But if you're doing a regular yeast bread, you need about three hours of time that you can be at least available to come in and do what you need to do. You're doing a lot of other things in between. It's got a lot of hands off time, but you can't run off for hours and leave it unattended. So those are my tips for that. No, that's a really good point. I think that that was probably something that was hampering me from getting started was the time because I just be like, okay, now I've got to let, yeah, let it rise and then need it again. And it's, you're right. It's actually not that hard when you think about it. You just need to, to factor that time and to be home. So, you know, yeah. at the moment it's probably yeah. good, good. Everyone is at home. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it, you just have to be available for it. I would say like in that maybe three hours that you would need for a loaf of bread, you're only actually in the kitchen doing something with it for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, that's You know, point. you're not sitting on top of it. You can go, go clean the house, go out and mow the grass, whatever you need to do, just be available that when that, you know, when that time is up so that you can move on to the next step. But it's not the kind of thing you don't ever want to try to bake bread on a day when you have a ton of other stuff going on. You know, the kids are in a bad mood. Somebody's crying. Somebody's sick. What you just, it's just not a great time to try to learn something new, you know, but if you're, if you're home and things are generally kind of quiet and you've got the time for it, then it's, it's great to give it. You'll, you'll see when you start that it's really not nearly as labor intensive as you think it is. And I also love that permission. I, I have heard that in terms of writing before about, yeah, Mm -hmm. making your crappy first draft or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Just, just throw it out there. (laughs) Just throw it out there. And yeah. I like that giving ourselves permission to not be the best. Like, cause I think we all start something thinking that we're going to be right. That this will be the best loaf of bread ever. And this is a skill. You're right. That's it's something that you're not going to magically be great at after your first go. And if no. you are, well, you must be a bread <laughs> making you're born with this, the magical skills. Um, so I, I like that. It's a good attitude to go into it that like even a fail will bring you closer to be able to do it better next time. Like you'll be able to learn, like if this happened, you can improve this next time. 
That's right. And if you've got someone to ask, so if your listeners need to come and ask me, they can come to YouTube. They can ask me. They can come over to the blog. They can ask me. They can find me on social media and they can ask me, you know, send me a picture of it. I can tell you just by looking at your loaf what was wrong with it from a picture. I can tell you if you overneeded it. I can tell you if you put too much flour in it. I can tell you if you underrose it. I can tell you if you underbaked it. I can we can do all the things through a picture. So if you, if they need me, I don't mind. You can reach out and I'll try to help. So oh, that's lovely. All right. Well, listeners, remember that. <laughs> I feel like I'm using <laughs> Rachel's services. <laughs> that's right. That's okay. Well, let's start with, so, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to be bread making. What are some of the tools that we need to have to actually get started? Is there anything that you go, if you didn't have this, you probably couldn't start? Right. Well, you know, thankfully, there's not a lot that you have to have, thankfully. Um, If you're doing, it depends on what kind of bread you're making. So let's just say general loaf of bread. Now, I teach a lot of sourdough. I teach sourdough loaves. So baked in a loaf pan more often than I teach the artisan freeform loaves, because in our family, my, when my kids come to me and they say, mom, I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They don't want that on crusty artisan bread. Mm-hmm. They want that on a loaf of bread. And so I have always found that the crusty loaves, although delicious are not terribly practical for us. So it depends on what you're, what, what kind of bread you're making. But the first thing you need is a really good loaf pan. Now I I bake in USA pans. I I think they ship internationally, but USA pans make the loveliest loaf pans you have ever used. They are completely nonstick. And the the general bake of your bread is going to depend on what kind of vessel it's baked in, right? So so if it's a nice, even color all the way around, you know, you need a kind of a lighter metal baking dish for that. If you're using, you know, your grandma's like super old black crusty loaf pan, a black loaf, a black pan is going to push all that heat into your bread. It can really, it can burn it. It can, you know, darken the crust before the inside has had time to do much. It can cook unevenly. So I really think investment in a good pan is absolutely priority. I won't ever bake without my USA pans. I have four of them, four loaf pans, and I use them interchangeably. So I think a loaf pan is essential. The, The second thing, if you're not really familiar with water temperatures and what, you know, everybody's terrified of activating yeast and what that's supposed to look like, but... The water temperature, if you're not sure, you can always invest in a thermometer. So like a, like any kind of a, you know, a kitchen thermometer, a culinary thermometer that you can put down in the water and check the temperature um, until your, my mom taught me how to check water temperature on my arm as a little girl. So I've always known what the water temperature should be. And people laugh, but I say the water temperature should be exactly what you would put a baby in to give them a bath. So if it's, if it's warm enough for a baby or, you know, lukewarm sort of, that's where you need your yeast to be. But Investing in a thermometer will help you if you're unsure about that. And then parchment paper, if you have an old black loaf pan and can't invest in anything else, I would never dare bake my bread in that because you're never going to get it out. No matter how much you grease it, you're never going to get it out. Mm-hmm. So I use a, a piece of parchment paper that you, you know, cut, tear it off long so that it'll have some, some flaps that hang over the side and you can put your bread down in there. And then when it's done, you can just lift it out. It's a lifesaver. This parchment paper is great. And then if you're going to do crusty loaves, even if it's not sourdough. So if you're wanting to make some sort of another, you know, crusty loaf and a really good Dutch oven, a cast iron Dutch oven with a really tight fitting lid is what you'll need to hold the moisture in and keep and get that crust to develop. So that's optional. It just again, depends on, you know, what, what your interest is. 
Okay, that doesn't sound like too much. Not like we're going to break the bank buying a few. No, few of those no, 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 not at all. And what about so the must-have ingredients? Is it really as simple as just four things? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so you know, water, flour, and salt is all that's in some types. It depends on what it is. Um, must-have ingredients for me. You must have a good flour. Your flour is going to determine so much about the quality of your bread. Now, I don't know if you all can get uh, King Arthur in Australia, but here, um, King Arthur Baking Company is what I go for. And you need a bread flour. I cooked for years with an all-purpose. You can use all-purpose if that's all you have. But I cooked for years with that. And when I moved to bread flour, I was like, oh, like I could hear the angels singing. When I made my first loaf of bread, I was like, what happened to this? What it does is there's more gluten structure in a bread flour. And you need that the gluten is more like the elasticity of the bread, if you will. So when the, it holds air better and it holds as the bread rises, the pockets of air are suspended a little bit better. You get a better lift. You get a lighter crumb. It's just generally all around, you know, a better experience for yourself. So a really good flour. Now I have used um, flours milled locally from, from small mills near me. I have used, um, I've mail ordered flour. I've used King Arthur from my grocery store. Um, I know that there are a few brands that I absolutely hate. They just make the absolute worst bread that has ever existed. So I really would encourage you to invest in a good brand, high quality brand of flour Mm -hmm. that's not bleached. That's very important. That's not bromated. That's also very important. And that, you know, if it tells you on the front how much gluten content is in the bread or in the flour, that's even better. But anything, you know, just a good quality flour is is probably the most important. Now, obviously, I think if you have, if you're making something that only has three ingredients, all of those ingredients should be as good as they can possibly be. Right. So I, I don't encourage the use of table salt in my in bread. You can if you want to, but sea salt does a better job, especially a fine sea salt is going to give you a cleaner flavor uh, here in, in the U.S. When I make my loaves of bread, just a general white loaf, there's sh- sugar in that, which some people just hate all of they think we're just nuts for putting sugar in everything. It's just a little bitty bit. But um Certainly you want to use, you know, use, use good stuff for this. If you're going to put an egg in, I have one recipe that uses an egg, use a pastured egg, you know, just use quality ingredients because there aren't very many things in there. So you want everything to really shine, you know, shine at its, at its best, but absolutely good flour. Um, there is no difference to me in yeast. So if you're looking at as far as brands of yeast, um, there is no difference in quality in those. You can use any brand that you want to use without any problems. There are differences in types of yeast. So there's active dry and instant and pizza dough yeast and bread machine yeast and that sort of thing. There are differences between those, but as far as brands, anything's fine. That's good to know. And yeah, I I do remember that I, I was trying to know the difference between the bread flour and the all-purpose flour and i yeah it, it does make a difference i've i've definitely tried even just sometimes baking like i okay so i haven't done bread but even making something like a pizza dough or something i can definitely mm-hmm. tell the difference when i've used that bread bread flour there are times absolutely there are times when you really want that chewy kind of structure to be there you want it in a loaf of bread you want it in a pizza crust you don't want it in a pie crust for example no one wants to rip off a chunk 
chunk of their pie crust when they <laughs> eat it. They want that to fall apart. And so in order for a pie crust to fall apart, you need to use a delicate flour, something that has less gluten. So you go all purpose or you go to pastry flour, um, something like that that's just very gentle and doesn't have that gluten structure in it. So it, cookies, you don't want a gluten structure that's strong. You know, so you have to consider what you're making and whether or not that, that pull and stretch is part of the, the recipe. Definitely. All right. So we've got our tools. We've got our good bread flour and our ingredients. What would you suggest for someone starting out? Like, where do they start? What kind of loaf would they start with? It's a good starter recipe. (laughs) That's so tricky because there are pros and cons to every kind, right? Um, I think as far as like a no need loaf goes, those are fun to do. Um, I will tell you from a bread baker standpoint that I don't think their quality is very good because the kneading is what builds the structure of the bread. And so I feel like we give people a little bit of a false sense of security when we we tell them it's no need. Well, just suck it up and knead the bread, people. (laughs) I mean, if if you want to do it, I got one of these people that's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'd like to do it right. Yeah. I'd like to do it the way that it was supposed to be done. I don't want to shortcut everything all the time. That's just my personal way of doing things. So to me, taking five, seven, eight minutes and kneading a loaf of bread is not a deal breaker for me. In fact, kneading bread is probably one of my favorite things in the whole wide world to do. Like it's just therapy to be able to knead bread for me. And I think that a no knead loaf, they're simple. I have one recipe over on Feast and Farm that someone, they can check out if they want it. It's, it's simple. It's just you mix your ingredients up in a bowl and you leave it sitting overnight and you get up the next morning, you shape it into a ball, you drop it in a Dutch oven, you put it in the oven and you bake up this fairly decent loaf of bread. It's okay. Um, and, but then, you know, sourdough has its own benefits in that once you're, st- if you have an established starter, the recipes are pretty much all in grams. So that takes away all of the guessing and trying to figure out how much flour do I have too much in there? Do I, do I not have enough? Um, it takes away all of that guesswork, but it has very long, slow rises that require you to use your instincts to know when it's ready. So I think really, if if someone's never, truly never done bread of any kind, I always suggest they start with a quick bread, which isn't even really a bread to begin with. If you ask me, it's more like a muffin. But starting with something that you just mix up in a bowl that doesn't have yeast and then move probably into something like a no-knead bread, then probably into traditional yeasted regular loaves and then probably to sourdough. That's probably how I would do it but again there are pros and cons to both so I like that I I think that what you're saying is you can probably choose where you want to start but if you wanted a quick win making something like a quick bread or a no need bread might give you a little bit of confidence to go I can do something so let's (laughs) get absolutely yeah I think you need to start like the first thing I would do is just get out a cup of water and see if you can activate your yeast, you know, see if it bubbles like it's supposed to. Um, if nothing happens I, my poor little sister-in-law, when she made hers, she didn't activate her yeast. She didn't wait to make sure it was alive before she put it in with her ingredients. And in her case, she didn't wake it up enough. It, her water wasn't warm enough. So her yeast never activated. Well, then she ended up throwing away all those ingredients because she didn't wait. Well, if you'll wait and make sure that your yeast is active before you move into anything else, if it's not for some reason, all you have to throw away is that cup of water and that little bit of yeast that you have in there. You're not losing, you know, six cups of flour and an egg and a bunch of oil and whatever else. So 
I think that's really important is just to start with that. Get out a cup, get out a measuring cup, you know, put your water in there, put your yeast in there and just see what happens. And if nothing happens and you're like, oh, I better try again. You know, once you get through that, I think most home bakers will feel a little more confident to move on to the next step. I like that. Now, what's we sort of talked about it as well about sourdough and I know, so you have a course about sourdough um, right. that we can access from the blog, which is really awesome. Um, so how does sourdough for starters differ from other loaves of bread? I know it's, that's probably another type of bread that's raised in popularity over the last few years. I see it everywhere. Um, right. I love eating it, but I, I couldn't probably begin to tell you why it's so special. Well, <laughs> <laughs> The thing that we have to first differentiate differentiate is the difference between certain types of sourdough. So when I was growing up, my mom had a recipe for sourdough, and the starter was made from commercial yeast, white sugar, instant potato flakes, and water. And so you you stirred those together, and it made this concoction that you use to kind of acidify your bread baking and that sort of thing. That's one type of sourdough, especially popular here in the States, but the sourdough we are talking about is what some people call wild yeasted sourdough. So that sourdough is very, very different. That starter is made from simply whole wheat flour and water. And what happens is when that sits and begins to ferment, the naturally occurring yeast that's, there's yeast already on the outside of the wheat. And so when that gets broken down, it will, and there's yeast in our environment, and in the air and that sort of thing. And, and as it ferments, those natural yeasts take over and begin to uh, ferment and create lactobacillus and its own bacteria and that sort of thing. And it creates what I compare to. So commercial yeast is kind of like a tree farm, you know, like rows of all these trees that are just the same growing in a field, rows and rows and rows of them. If you compare a tree farm to a forest, how different those two environments are, that's the difference between a sourdough and a commercial yeast. So commercial yeast is all one strain of, of fungus, one type, the same type has pretty much been manufactured worldwide since I want to say maybe the 1940s or something. We've been living off of the same kind. And all that commercial yeast does when you buy it in a packet at the store is create carbon dioxide when it's activated. It just makes air lift, not even air, but carbon gas. So it makes that gas that causes the lift in bread. It doesn't do anything to the nutritional content of the bread itself. It just makes lift. So what happens with sourdough is when we've created a proper starter, those natural yeast, the natural lactobacillus, when you put those into into a recipe, they are actually able to go into the wheat and break down the phytic acid. Some people are familiar with, with that. It's an enzyme inside bread, a compound inside bread that locks away all the nutrients and makes them undigestible to the human body. So when this yeast has time to get in there, it'll break that phytic acid away and it will un- unleash, I guess, the the minerals, the magnesium, the calcium, the nutrients inside the wheat itself are then made available to the body for digestion and for use in the body. So it makes the bread a whole lot healthier. It also can break down the gluten. So for people who have um, a gluten sensitivity, which is why we started eating it here at our house, um, I can't tolerate any gluten in any form, but I can eat sourdough. So for people who have it, it's not for celiacs per se. I really would never recommend that a celiac try this, but if you have a sense of gluten sensitivity or you have um, other issues, health issues, I have an autoimmune disease. So, so gluten's 
off for me. And so if, if I have something like that and I still want to have an occasional bit of bread, then this is the way that I enjoy it because those with those long, slow rises, sourdough breaks down that gluten content, making it digestible to the body. And it also, last caveat, is um, lower in carbs and it helps. It ha- doesn't give you quite as many uh, blood sugar spikes as you get with a white, just a traditional white flour. So you can consume bread, especially people who have diabetes and that sort of thing. They can eat sourdough typically with less consequence to their blood sugar over time. So it has a lot of health benefits. Truly sourdough is said to be the healthiest bread in the world if you make the right kind. I love that tree farm analogy. And yeah, I have heard the health benefits of it, which is, um, I guess, yeah, where a lot of the hype has been coming from for it. Now, if you were starting a sourdough starter, (laughs) I won't tell you about the disaster that I had when I tried it before. (laughs) Yep. When uh, mine was just not reading instructions properly, but (laughs) when you do it, How long from the minute that you start your sourdough starter to like, how long are you going to need to be feeding it until you get to a point where you can actually start using it for a loaf of bread? Because I think that that can be a confusing time as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the hardest part about sourdough. Once you get your starter ready, you're smooth sailing from there. But I can't tell you because I can't give you a number um, because no one's number is the same. Okay. So I've seen, you know, like, you know, very popular baking sites say start us five days to a successful starter, seven days. And I just giggle to myself because here's the thing. Your, I have found that organic flowers are really difficult to start a starter with. Um, so it depends on what kind of flower you're using. First of all, it depends on the environment in your home. If you are a heavy, commercial bleach user, let's say you bleach your kitchen floors every day or twice a week, or you're heavy on, um, you use a lot of Lysol or heavy chemical cleaners in your home, you're never going to get a starter going Mm -hmm. because what's in your air is going to go into your jar. And if you've got all these heavy chemicals and cleaners in your house, they're going to land in your jar and your natural environment of, of bacteria we're trying to grow will never be able to start. Okay. So people don't consider those kinds of environmental things when they're, when they're starting their, their, their starter temperature in your house makes a huge difference. Um, the, even right down to like the jar that you use, if you washed it in an antibacterial dish soap, you can shoot yourself in the foot before you've ever started. So everybody's like, Oh, five days. Oh, I just, it's not, <laughs> it's not the same for everybody. So what I have found with my students in my course is I had one student who took almost three and a half weeks for her starter to really kick up and go. And then I had other students who had one ready to go in, in seven days. And so you just, it's the most difficult part. And that's when most of my students want to give up. They will throw away a starter before it really needed to be thrown out. It just needed more time. They just decided that it was dead and therefore needed to be pitched out. And I get so sad. I'm like, why'd you throw it away? It wasn't ready yet. It's not that it was, there was nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't ready. So the average, the average for a starter is probably a couple of weeks about 14 days, but it can easily take three weeks or a month to really see one come to life. It's just not a cut and dry answer. 
But that's kind of good to know because I think that is where it can be misleading is that if you're going, okay, in seven days, I'm going to be able to make this. No. If you were reading those articles, then then right. you're going to be really disappointed if you get to three weeks. And, may, and like you say, you might not even get there because you might go after seven days. It's not working. So I'll just dump it. And I think it's encouraging to know that if it can take you any time between those weeks. Right. Just be patient and stick with it. You have to. And, and it, it's it's a living organism, right? So the thing we have to remember is that it's going to go through phases of smells and behaviors. And you're going to go, what's happening in here? I don't know what's happening. And so I've had, you know, students who send me pictures of it and they, they tell me it smells like nail polish remover, which is acetone. It's simply hungry. It needs more food. So, you know, that kind of thing comes up. Sometimes we, if we get to mold, we need to pitch it and start over again. But usually I haven't had any students actually have one mold. They may have had instances where they, you know, they put the wrong flower in it or they accidentally forgot and they put some tap water in it because tap water's got bleach in it. You don't want to put tap water into a sourdough starter because you'll kill it. And so um, there, there are some nuances there and they just decided that they should throw it away. And sometimes they did, but, but they would say it smells like butter today or it smells like, you know, it smells like nail polish remover or it smells like, and so when they would send it to me and send me the pictures and we would talk about it, I would be able to usually identify what it needed and we could keep it going, you know, after that, but every, they're all different. And that's why, you know, after you build a starter, you give it a name. Yeah. And so my name, is my, <laughs> my starter's name is Margaret. She's a person. She lives in the refrigerator and we talk about her like she's a person. I'll ask my daughter, I'll say, can you get Margaret out of the fridge for me? <laughs> and Margaret comes out and we make, you know, we make bread with Margaret. So, but they're, they're living organisms and they take a little adjusting. You, you begin to learn their behaviors and how long they will you know, be extra bubbly and active before it starts to fall, how often you need to feed it. You learn those things over time. So I've had, I've built, three or four starters completely from scratch. And it, for me, it usually takes at least two weeks to get mine to go. Um, but it just, it just varies for sure. I love that. It's, it's encouraging to know. And also, yeah, you're right about the names. I always see people talking about the names. It's like they're a person like, okay. (laughs) Well, they're, they're living, they're living organisms. They have a purpose. And so we just, we just give them a name. I love it. Now let's talk in general. I feel like we could probably talk for hours about this, but we'll obviously be mindful of your time. (laughs) But let's talk about a few, say like common mistakes or troubleshooting that you think like everyone sort of goes through. Like, is there, is there some things that you go, I say this every time someone does the course, I repeat myself. (laughs) Yes. Every time. Okay. So the number one things that I see with bread baking in general is that people cling to the recipe, right? If it says rise one hour or we're going to rise at one hour and we're going to do something after that one hour, bread is not that way. We're going to give you, remember that bread recipes are a guideline, but you have to learn to look at the food. And I I tell people this all the time on the website. They want to, you know, just watch the recipe. And I had a lady actually, so here's an example. She, um, it was a pot roast recipe and she refused, like, I think I said preheater's pan for like six minutes or something. Well, she set her kitchen on fire because I said to leave the pot on for six minutes. And by golly, those six minutes were not up yet. And since those six minutes were not up, she was not turning that pot off. She set her, she set her kitchen on fire. And that was my fault because the recipe said six minutes. 
you know, we can't do that, people. (laughs) Common sense must prevail. And so what what happens is that, you know, because a bread recipe says it needs to rise an hour, they think after that hour they're done. You have to watch your food. So sometimes if you're rising bread, and I have bread likes an 80-degree rising environment, rising temperature. If your house is much cooler than that, even, you know, 10 degrees cooler than that, or 10 degrees warmer than that, your bread might, if it's 10 degrees cooler, your bread might take an hour and a half to two hours to reach its first doubling. If your house is a lot warmer, it might be there in 35 to 40 minutes. So you have to learn to just watch your food. Let the, let the food tell you when it's ready for the next step, right? Watch the bread. If it's not doubled in size yet, it's not ready yet. If it's not, if you've put it into the the pan, you've kneaded it and you've put it into the pan for the second rise, but it's not, you know, an inch and a half or two over the top of the loaf pan, it's not ready yet. Just let it have its breathing room and just trust the process and it will get there. That's the biggest problem I see. The, the other things are just common mistakes with, with bread making, putting too much flour into the bread when you're kneading it. So I had a friend here for a class one day, I was teaching her about how to, and I guess for me, it's instinctual to know how to handle the bread, like how to scoop it and hold it and that sort of thing. And the first thing she did when she put her hands in the bowl was just mush her fingers in it like like play-doh or something it was gumming out of her fingers and I just looked at her and said what are you doing (laughs) I don't know I don't know I don't know how to pick it up you know and that's things I don't think about because you don't mush your hands into the dough you scoop it from underneath with your palms and kind of cup it out of the bowl and um so I think what happens is when you when you overhandle it you you tend to want to put too much flour on it well then you put too much flour on it and it gets really hard so when you bake it it's got this big old thick hard crust on the top of it um and that just comes from just fiddling with it too much and putting too much flour in and then under rising is really common so after after you've kneaded your bread the first time you put it into your pan for its second rise before you put it in the oven a lot of people get nervous and they don't let it have its full rise on that second time and then what happens is you end up with this great big crack all along the sides of your bread uh, where it didn't have, it just didn't have the the build. It didn't have time to build itself up so that when it got into the oven, it's oven spring or it's quick rise that it does in the heat. Um, it just cracked open because it didn't have the structure built up to, to handle that. So an under rise is, is really, really common. And then of course with sourdough specifically, it's just giving up on your starter too soon was what I've seen time and time again. I think what you said about the following the recipe, oh gosh, that could be for, anything, not just bread making. Oh. I, I think we've kind of, and I, you know, I'll say it for myself as well. We've become too reliant on having all of the information there that we've stopped looking at what's in front of us and we're just following what's written. Right. And right. you're right. You can get too narrow minded. And so like, if you focus, if it says an hour, you go, okay, well, this is an hour, but you're right. It's cooking is very much like, yeah, it's seeing it's a visual. You gotta, gotta have those cues. Um, you know, is it, is it doing what it was supposed to be doing? Cause if it isn't, then maybe you are going to have to give it a bit longer or maybe it's a little bit shorter. Um, right. so I like that. Yeah. That reminder to just be, be in the moment with what you're doing as well. Don't be constantly thinking about the next step and what has to come next. But make sure that this one is completely done before we move on. That's right. That's right. Just have to trust. Just have to let the food, let the food talk to you. Let it communicate with you. You just look at it and, and, and just say, okay, this is all right. You know, just give it a little time. And it's, it's inevitable. We've all done it. You know, we rely on, we rely on the recipe because we don't have the skills of our own yet, but you just have to, you just have to know that sometimes 
the recipe is a guide only. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, tell us a bit about more about the course. So I'm sure that there's some people on here that are wanting to do bread baking and want some help. Sure. So the course is called Practical Sourdough, and it's over on um, Udemy. It's on that website. Probably shouldn't have put it there. I wish I'd put it somewhere else now. But nonetheless, that's where it is. And it's it's a course on loaves, specifically sourdough loaf, loaf breads, because we can, and there is one of those beautiful, hard, crusty, awesome loaves with the beautiful tops on it and that sort of thing. There is one one recipe in the course, but I focus on just helping people tackle a traditional sourdough loaf of bread because like I explained earlier, you know, for us, depends on on the on the family and the situation, but for us, um my kids want their their bread to be more like a traditional white bread. So if we're eating a sandwich or a grilled cheese or a, um, there's a time and a place for all different kinds of bread, but they, they want their peanut butter and jelly on traditional white bread. They don't want it on a crusty sourdough loaf with all its big, you know, holes in it and that sort of thing. That's just not going to work. So I, I, and I have been baking, you know, sourdough for my family. We went exclusively to sourdough about six months ago, every hamburger bun, hot dog bun, crouton, pizza dough, every, bread related item in this house is now sourdough. And that was just a personal goal that I had for myself that I, you know, I wanted to be able to do that. And so I, my friends on Facebook and whatnot would watch me batch bake. So for me, I batch bake eight loaves at a time and I only have to bake about once a month when I do that. And so I'm not tied to my sourdough. It lives in the refrigerator until I need to get it out. So I teach my students in the class, you know, the, the fundamentals of a couple of basic loaves. And then we learn, of course, we sort of learn how to st- build a starter from the very beginning. And then once we got our, we have our starter ready, I teach you how to do those fundamental loaves. And then we go into everything from um, how to manipulate temperature. So that like, let's say you need to, you need to go somewhere or you need to speed up or slow down your rises, how to use temperatures, you know, the refrigerator and that sort of thing. To, to make your bread fit your schedule, to storage. Um, and then I have a Facebook page that, that aligns with, with the class where students can upload pictures and we can answer questions. And I will often go in there and do additional how-to videos. Sometimes I'll be working on a new recipe. I'll show it in the Facebook group and, and everybody can you know comment and learn, that sort of thing. So it's been really successful. We've had a really, really great time. And I've had some students who have just gone straight to sourdough exclusively in their homes, just like I have just from taking the course. So we we have a really good time with it. I love that. And we'll make sure that we link that in the show notes as well for anyone who just wants to go there straight away. We'll have the link there. But I do love that, that um, sharing your success in a Facebook group. I think that that changes things as well. When you have that interaction with other people who are on the same journey as you and you go, yes, we're all doing it together. (laughs) Absolutely. And then they, you know, and I'm, I'm very hands-on with my students because they need me. And sometimes in a, in, in the teaching platform on Udemy, we can do some talking, but you need to send me a picture or you need an extra video. I had a girl the other day, she was having trouble with air bubbles up under her crust. It was kind of wanting her, making her crust kind of want to pop off. So that was a shaping issue. So I just made an additional video and show went through shaping again and how we tighten the surface of the bread and that kind of thing, how we work to get those air bubbles out. And, you know, we just deal with it as it comes up because, you know, the starters mature over time. The more you use them, they behave differently at different times. And sometimes you'll run into problems four or five, six months down the road that you didn't have when you first started. So I'm always there as a resource to make sure that, you know, my students have what they need so that they can be successful. 
Awesome. And what about the blog? If my listeners want to go and check that out, where do they? Yeah, you can find me. Yeah. Over on feastandfarm.com is my main site. And then I'm on YouTube at uh, feast and farm cooks there. And on YouTube, I'm having all things bread are going on over there all the time. It feels like, but that's where everybody wants to go. When you know, when you need help, where do you go? You go to YouTube. Yeah. If you want to learn how to do something. So I have lots and lots of, of bread and, and baking recipes and yeast activation recipes or, you know, how to steps, that sort of thing are over on YouTube as well. That's awesome. All right. I'm definitely going to check out YouTube as well right now. <laughs> I think okay. I'll have to, to start my uh, yeast activation. I think that'll be step one. Let's make yeah. sure I can do oh, that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. There was so much in this episode, but I hope that it shows you guys that it's, it's going to be a process but a much worthy one. Like I think about how proud I would be if I actually had a decent loaf of bread that I made with my own hands. I think I would be so proud of that. Absolutely. You know, once you master those, the basics, you can make anything. So you, once you learn how yeast works and how a basic loaf of bread works, then well, then you can make donuts and you can make French bread and you can make baguettes and you can make, I mean, the sky is the limit once you've tackled the basics. This is going to be dangerous. No. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it is. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've had such a good time talking to you. Thank you so much, Cassie. I had such a blast chatting with Rachel about all things bread. Her encouragement and her enthusiasm is contagious, and she has me desperate to get in the kitchen and start kneading some dough. You can get the link to Rachel's course as well as all the links we discussed in today's episode at cookitrealgood.com slash 55. Well, that's it from me. I hope you have a great week and don't just cook, cook it real good. Bye.